You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. I want to talk this morning, uh, I want to kind of pick up kind of where Sean left off, right? And, and I, want to, I want to focus on one word this morning. I, I want to do, hopefully, what Sean did last week with that word, perhaps. He took this kind of simple word that we all use, we don't think about, and he, he changed what it meant to us, right? He gave it a new meaning, gave us a new hope in this word, perhaps. I want to do the same thing with the word this morning. And hopefully I can radically change your life by changing the meaning of this word. All right? And so lately I've been listening to a podcast uh, by a pastor named Judah Smith. He, he's up in Seattle and he's been teaching out of the book of 1 Timothy. And so he's been working through chapter by chapter in this book. And, and he finished a couple weeks ago. And, and, and his last uh, message on chapter six, on the last chapter of the of the book, the, the end of the letter, uh, it just I just really it, it struck a chord, and I wanted to share some of what he taught on First Timothy six with you this morning, and, and more specifically, not just uh, chapter six, but just the very last two verses, the last two lines, uh, verse twenty and twenty one. That's what I'm going to speak about today. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in First Timothy. We're going to be in chapter six at the end. Not yet, but later you can prepare now. Um, and so First Timothy was a letter from Paul. And Paul was this terrible person that hated Jesus, hated anyone that loved Jesus, hated anyone that followed Jesus and persecuted them and murdered them. And that was his identity, right? And then he has this radical encounter with God and God completely changes his heart, right? Completely changes who he is. And so Paul gives his life to Jesus, and he lives his life for Jesus, preaching the gospel, raising up churches, um, raising up leaders, making disciples. And one of those disciples is Timothy. So as Paul is traveling and preaching and, and people are coming to find Jesus, Timothy is one of those people. And, and in Timothy, Paul sees this, this amazing young man with this great potential. And so he, Timothy begins to travel with Paul as he continues to go around and then at Ephesus, Timothy stays, right? Paul continues on, but Timothy stays to kind of lead this church, to kind of raise this up, to kind of help all these people that are new to Christ and they don't know what to do. And so Paul's in Macedonia, and he writes this letter to Timothy. And so at the time he writes this letter to Timothy, he doesn't necessarily know that there's going to be a second Timothy. So this is, this is kind of it, right? This is, this is this young man that he's raised up, that he loves so much, that he's seen come and mature in faith and lead a church, and, and he wants to instill some wisdom that he has, right? He wants, to, he wants to speak to Timothy. He wants to warn him about some things. He wants to, 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 to help him because he's going to go through trying to lead a church with people and problems and things are going to pop up, and he wants to help him, right? And so at the conclusion, Paul ends in, in lines 20 and 21, verses 20 and 21. He, he ends with what he wants Timothy to walk away from, right? He's going to read this letter, and, and this is going to be the lasting impression of what Timothy gets. And so, and so that's what I want to focus on today. But I'm going to go back a couple verses. I'm going to read a little bit from First Timothy to give you a little bit of a background before we jump into those. I'm going to start in verse 11, and I'm just going to read through it, and we're going to get to those last two verses, right? So in First Timothy chapter 6, from verse 11, it starts, But you, man of God, this is Paul, he's speaking to Timothy. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Oh, I'm reading out of the message, if anyone wants to know what verse or uh, 
translation, right? So he said, you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world, but not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And then he closes, Timothy Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you. And so I want to focus on just those last two verses, those last two lines that he closes this letter with. And there's a ton of wisdom in 1 Timothy and, and, and there's all these things that Paul wants to get across to Timothy. But he, he closes here, right, in verses 20 and 21. And I want to look at two more translations of how he closes that letter just to get kind of a better understanding. Sometimes it helps me. Maybe it will help some of you, right? So first in, in the ESV, in the English Standard Version, he closes like this. O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And then in the NLT, in the New Living Translation, it sounds a little bit different. Timothy, guard what God has entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so-called knowledge. Some people have wandered from the faith by following such foolishness. May God's grace be with you. So I want to talk about this warning that Paul is giving to Timothy. And if you look at some of the translations, um, first it says um, the, to guard, he tells Timothy, guard what has been entrusted in your care. And it's kind of vague, right? And he says, avoid these types of conversations. But then we get uh, to another one, another Translation says to guard the deposit. So now we know what's been entrusted to him. It's been a deposit. Something's been given to him. And then when we look into yet another translation, it says guard what God has entrusted to you. So this this deposit, this thing that that Paul wants Timothy to guard so much, it's, it's given by God. This is a gift from God, right? And so this is the way he closes his letter. This this is the key thing he wants him to take. And so it's really important. And so this is what he's warning against is FOMO, right? The word was up there. I see like three smiles. I think three people know what this word is. The rest of you don't. But I'm going to change what you think about this word. Which right now is easy. I can tell you it is anything. It's a seafood dish. There you go. We're done. But first I want to tell you why I hate traffic. 
Because I hate traffic. Like, I know we all hate traffic, but like, I have shaped my life around avoiding traffic. For those of you that know me, like, oh, I can meet anytime, anywhere. What time? Oh, nine o'clock? I'm not available. <laughs> 10 o'clock? That's great. Right? Like, I have turned down promotions and jobs because they were going to require me to be in an office before 10 o'clock. I can't do it. Sorry. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> hey. There are entire groups of people that I know. Some of them know me very well. And they do not know me outside of this four-hour window of 10 and 2. Right? Like, I, I hate traffic. I hate it. And so, if I'm driving in traffic, if I find myself in whatever you want to call it, like, I have done something terribly wrong. I'm, I'm not having a good day. Like, I have lost that day. I can't explain why I'm there, but I know I shouldn't be. Right? And so, <laughs> I'm trying to temper my tongue. I hate traffic. I hate it. So, traffic is like a... Traffic is like an a, a Oreo cookie gone terribly wrong, right? Stay with me here. Because there's a delicious cookie at one end. Mmm, love it. And then a delicious cookie on the bottom, right? Because we start from our home. We love our home. I love it. I love being there. And we're going to some place where presumably we want to be, wherever it might be, but we're trying to get there. We, we intend to be there. It's probably a good place. These are the cookies. But in the middle, it's like... Some rotten, spoiled tuna fish or something, right? Like, it, you've got to get through, like, you just can't avoid it, right? But traffic is this terrible thing. And even more than just being this terrible thing, like, it changes me. I'm a different person in traffic than I am up here or sitting down there or at home or any other time in my life. Like, I think terrible things when I'm in traffic. I do. It's terrible, but it's not my fault. It's not me. It's traffic's fault. Traffic does it to me. It's not, I can't help it. That's why I try to avoid traffic. Traffic is terrible, right? Maybe you guys can relate to some of these things. So let's say that you're driving down the freeway or a, a thoroughfare, a major thoroughfare, and there's no traffic. That's good, right? You're driving as fast as you want or are allowed to, 50, 60, 100 maybe, Jason, right? I mean, there's no traffic. You can go as fast as you want. Clear vision, if there's any cops, you can see them. You go as fast as you want, right? That should be good enough to make you happy. Yet, it can get better. For me, at least. If, as you're driving, unencumbered, free, the other direction of traffic is stopped up, oh, that feels good, right? This is, and the longer you go, the longer they're backed up, it feels even better. And I know I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't take joy in their misery. I, I, I empathize with them, but oh, yes. And the guys at the back, they don't even know what's coming, right? That traffic does that to me. I'm not, I don't want people to suffer, but traffic changes me. Or when I'm stuck in the traffic, if, if for some reason I can't get out of a meeting or I think, hey, whatever, I like to wake up early and go to work and then I forget the traffic stinks and I'm stuck. And I'm stopping, and I'm going, and stopping, and going, and stopping, and inching along, and I'm going crazy. And then finally, however long it takes, you see like the traffic up ahead is kind of freeing up, right? You see space in between cars. You know that you're coming to the end of this traffic. You get a little excited, and you get a little curious. 
What's up there? This must be good. This was a long backup, right? And there's nothing there that you're like disappointed? Like, I, I should be rejoicing. Oh, thank God there is no, nobody's heard. But I want to see, like, mangled cars, and I want it upside down. I want to be able to then, like, text my friends or my wife. And say, right, have you seen what's going on in the tent? It's ridiculous. They're on fire. But there's nothing, and I'm disappointed. But traffic makes me disappointed. I, Jeremiah, I'm happy everyone's safe. But traffic makes me wish maybe someone was in an ambulance. That's terrible. That's terrible. <laughs> But traffic does that. Traffic is the enemy here, not me, people. It's traffic. And of course, I I don't want anyone to actually be hurt because driving is dangerous. Traffic is dangerous. The freeways are dangerous, right? But we don't treat it like it's dangerous. Like, what are some of the things that we do when we're driving? Or not us, I mean they. Not us. What are the other people, right? Ladies, makeup, right? Driving down the freeway, didn't have enough time to put makeup on at the house. You got to do it in the car. What else? Where am I going to put makeup on? I got to do it while I'm driving. People do, you know, the, the eye pencil pokey thing. How do you drive and do this? What's it called? Eyeliner. How do you do that? Or guys shave? You see the guys, you know, that are shaving, looking up. Really? Like while you're driving? People change their clothes. People get changed while they're driving. They eat. They read. They text. They tweet. Post to Facebook or Instagram because you're taking pictures of the traffic and look at this guy next to me, right? Anything, anything but driving. And so that's FOMO. We go, we go again. Fear of missing out. This is what we all suffer from to varying degrees. Not going to point at ladies or guys because we just focus on different things, but we all suffer from FOMO. And now we all know what it is. We all have a baseline. FOMO is the fear of missing out. And as people, we just, we naturally desire and covet and wonder and we're curious. And that's why we have such amazing technologies and, and breakthroughs and we can live so long and medicine, because we have this curiosity, right? We just want to know, we want to know, we want to know, we want to learn, right? But now we have social media. You have 24-hour news cycles that are always going around. There's got to be something happening all the time, right? And all these kind of like fake reality shows, like they're not really real. If you think they're real, they're not real. We're looking in people's lives. We want to know what's going on all the time, right? And it just feeds this beast, this FOMO. It just feeds it. I got to know. I got to know. Who's posting? What's going on? What did they have for breakfast? Who, who brought the kids to school? Him or her? What's going on, right? We just got to know. And while I'm driving, I got, I got 30 minutes to kill. I'm not doing anything important. And so we have this crazy machine that they just let us all have that goes insane speeds. It creates this enormous force and potential for danger and death and everything. And yet we need to occupy our time with something else. I, I know what's going on in my car. Nothing. Thanks, traffic. But I need to know what's going on in everybody else's life. I got to know. I got to know. That's FOMO. That's FOMO. And so while we're driving, we're, we're maybe swerving a little bit or drifting, going back and forth, whatever, but uh, just, just enough, just enough just to get a honk or something. Oh, sorry, sorry, just put on makeup. Thank you. Just texting. Ooh, I just swerved. Hashtag whoops. <laughs> so we're distracted. We're driving distracted. And we miss a turn or we take the wrong exit or something. We end up and we get lost. 
and blame it on the GPS or something else. Like, oh, I don't know what happened, right? Oh, they texted me the wrong address. Or even worse than getting lost. This is for me. This is scarier. This is, I, I hate this. You actually get where you meant to go, work or the office or whatever. But as soon as you get there, you realize you have no memory of actually driving there. You ever get that where you're so zoned out or so distracted and you just stop and you think, holy crap. Like, I don't remember a single stop sign or another car or turn or turn signals or if they stop. I don't know what just happened. I'm okay. I hope everyone behind me is okay because I, if I did something wrong, I just drove away. Right? Like, that's even scarier. But, but there's these times in our life where we get somewhere, either somewhere we meant to be and we don't know how we got there or someplace we didn't mean to be and we just look around and we say, how, how, did, I, how did I get here? How did, how did this happen? Right? And, and this is true of our lives, right? We find ourselves in those moments in our life where we stop and we look around no matter where we're at, whether it's somewhere we thought we wanted to be or it's somewhere we never imagined or we don't recognize. And you look around and you realize, I don't know how I got to this place. And so we all suffer from FOMO, not just while we're driving, all the time. And Paul knew this even 2,000 years ago. Paul knew that we suffer from FOMO. And he warns Timothy against this, not just for his church, but for him also. No one is immune from this. So he wasn't just telling Timothy, hey, some of these people that you're going to help, they're going to have this problem. He's speaking to him too. We all have this problem. You see, he knows that we tend to lose focus and we tend to stray and we tend to drift. And, and, and then before we look back up, we're lost, right? So in his final words to Timothy, he warns him about this. Because he knows that we ask these questions. We look around our life and we ask, what happened to my marriage? How did I get into so much debt? How, why is it that I'm stuck in this job still, this dead-end job? Or why, why can't I get a job at all? I don't understand how my life turned out like this. I don't understand why I feel like this. Why am I so unhappy all the time? Why do I feel so lost? I don't even know what's going on in my own life. And so Paul doesn't warn that we get distracted and then make a decision that we turn from God or that we abandon him or we make this, this, this single decision. You know what? This is not for me. I'm walking away. He warns that it's this slow, subtle process of swerving, of wandering, of drifting away. And we don't even notice that it's happening. And it's just slowly bringing us off course of where we're supposed to be until we're too far away to know how to get back, right? And this is the warning. And so there's a recent study where there were researchers that looked at this, this fact, this fact that we get distracted, that we're so easily uh, tempted to, to think about other things, right? And they found that 47% of the time, we are not currently thinking about what we are currently doing. 47% of the time. And some of you think, uh, a lot more than that. <laughs> some of you guys are not thinking about what's going on right now. <laughs> about 47% of you. So I'm just going to cut the room. Sorry, guys. You're not paying attention. I'm over here. But then the team, as, as they continued to go through their, their research and through their data, they found that there was a correlation 
between this wandering of the mind and unhappiness, right? They found that when they found this wandering, that they would find unhappiness as well. And they, and they thought, they just assumed, like I did when I was reading it, like you guys probably working out through your own mind right now, that it was because if you're doing something you don't like, you're going to be thinking about something else, right? If you don't like what's, what you're doing or where you're at or who you're with, you're going to be thinking about someone you do like or someplace you do wish you were, right? We're going to be, like, like, like last week, perhaps, perhaps my next job will be so much better or whatever, right? The grass is greener, right? But it's not what they found. They found the opposite, actually. They found that the wandering comes first. That the wandering, this drifting of our thought and our mind and our focus leads to unhappiness. And it's because we don't think about how great things are going to be. We think about how terrible they can be. We think of negative things. And even though we're driving to work or we're sitting next to our spouse in church or we're, we're with our kids at home, we're thinking about something else that is turning us unhappy. That is stealing that peace that Jason prayed about. Even though in the moment... We should be having this amazing time because there's a, a bright young man preaching a message up on stage, but it just doesn't matter. That's hypothetical. That's anyone, anytime. But it's because we all suffer from this FOMO, from this fear of missing out. What else is there out there? What am I missing? What's better? What, what do people have? What's more? How, how, how much better could these things be? How much I made a mistake. What can I ever get out of it, right? And this all, everything else seems... Not only more important, but just better. And so right now, there are, by law of averages, about half of you that are not paying attention right now. Like, I'm joking about that, but it's true. Lots of you guys, your minds are wandering right now. You're rehearsing the conversation that you're going to have later when you get home. You're going to finish the argument that you left unsettled last night. And you put it on pause for church because we love our husbands, we love our wives at church. But you're thinking about what he said or what she said and what you could have said back and what you should have said back. Oh, I can't wait till we get back home because now I'm going to say it. And right now in this moment, you're playing this, this, this conversation in your mind that has not happened. These words that he or she has not said to you, you're already angry about them. Or you're thinking about a conversation you're going to have at work, right? Like maybe your boss called you in on Friday afternoon. He sent you a meeting request for Monday morning, and that is not good. And you notice that HR is invited to that meeting, and that is even worse. <laughs> and so you know, oh, I know they're going to try to fire me. I know it. They got nothing on me. How dare they, right? And you're already talking about your rights and where they're wrong, and you're working yourself up, and you're thinking about this conversation, and then you realize, oh, man, they're going to fire me. How am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to do with the house? How many tickets? Oh, man, right? Like, this hasn't happened yet. This is not reality that you are worrying about, that is ruining your moment, that is stealing your joy, that is stealing your peace, right? Or maybe you have a loved one that's sick or a parent that's aging, and you're thinking right now in this moment, how much longer do I have with them? How many more conversations are we going to be able to have? What was the last conversation we had? What did I say? What am I going to say the next time? What if I don't get to say it? But you are thinking about things that haven't happened. And you're going negative, And it's stealing your peace. And it's stealing your joy. And you are missing the moment that you have right now. You're missing the people next to you. You're missing the people around you. You're missing what God is speaking to you. You're missing the spirit that is filling this place. And so the researchers, they found 
that the way to kind of combat this unhappiness, this, this stress that comes in with this wandering, right, is just simply to focus on the moment, right? We hear this from self-helping gurus and Eastern philosophy and Buddha, and everyone tells us, just be in the moment, right? And that sounds great, but I don't really know what that means. Like, it's really hard to settle my mind and all those things, right? But it's not just all these doctors and pseudo-doctor and Dr. Phil's or whatever. Like, this is a real thing, focusing on now, right? This is, this is what Jesus taught. Like, we can dismiss it because it comes from wacky, you know, I don't know, old hippies that now live in Sedona and they have crystals and stuff and they tell you, just got to be in the moment, man. You think, that's great, but I got bills, man, right? But Jesus taught this too. And Paul taught this. This is what he's trying to get across to Timothy. And in Matthew, Jesus said, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. Just don't worry about tomorrow, right? In Matthew 6.34, it says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus knew the danger of FOMO. He knew that we had this tendency to let our minds drift, to let our heart drift. He knew that we asked this question, what if, all the time, right? Sean talked about last week, this question of perhaps, and the hope and the promise that's in perhaps. But Jesus and Paul knew the dangers in the question of what if. And where that leads us and how it pulls us away from where we should be. And so even if you don't know Jesus this morning, even if you're just visiting, you're trying this out, or you're not sure, or you're going to dismiss this now, oh, this is what Jesus taught. I, this is not for me. This is for you. This is for everybody. This is how you guard your heart. This is how you guard your relationships in your life. This is how you can go to work and be happy. This is how you can... Uh, maybe drive in traffic and be sane. I don't know if that one's true, but this is, this is just good advice. If you don't know Jesus yet, you can still live by this, right? And so what Paul says to Timothy at the end of this letter is guard the deposit. Avoid the babble, the chatter, all this conversation. And so he doesn't say, Oh, well, yeah, just know that that deposit there, God gave you this. Just make sure you know it's there. Check on it every once in a while. Like maybe, you know, crack the door and ask if they're okay. Or write a sticky note to remind yourself it's there. Put a thing on your calendar for Friday to make sure the deposit's still there, right? Like he says, guard it. Watch it at all times. Everything you do, make it about this gift, this treasure that God gave you, right? Orient your life around this deposit obsess obsess over this deposit because if you don't if you don't make everything in your life about this you will drift and you will wander and you will start thinking about what you're missing out on and you will find yourself in a place asking yourself where am i what am i doing what how did i get here And so it leads me to ask if this deposit, if this treasure that God has given to Timothy, given to us all, if it's so important that we need to focus on and obsess on it, like what, what, is this, what is this thing? And so what scholars and really smart people, people smarter than me, all agree that they're talking about the gospel, the good news. 
Jesus, right? His life, his death, his resurrection, his promise, the Holy Spirit, the, us coming back into God's fold, becoming his children. Like that is the deposit. That is the treasure. That's what we've been giving. That is what's worthy of our time and our attention and our focus at all times. And Paul says, don't just acknowledge it. Don't just know it's there. Watch it. Obsess over it. Orient your life around this gospel, around Jesus. Make everything you do. Don't get stuck in these conversations that other people have, this babble, this waste of time, this so-called knowledge, all these things, right? Don't, don't, don't go out in the lobby and talk about, oh, you don't drink beer? Well, I do drink beer. That's the, oh, you do drink beer? I, I don't drink beer. Oh, your kids uh, go to public school? I homeschool. Oh, you homeschool? Well, I go to private school, right? Oh, you're liberal? I'm conservative. Oh, you're conservative? I'm liberal. Oh, you're... Right? Like, these conversations are a waste of time. They're not important. They are drifting and making you wander away from what is important. Instead, live in this place where Jesus is. These conversations... And you know what I think is the coolest thing? No matter who came to Jesus, no matter how they came, no matter how they asked, no matter what time it was, no matter what else he was doing, they came to him for healing. He healed them, every single one. I haven't found a story yet where he said no, or he couldn't do it, or he didn't. He healed that. That's amazing. I know that Jesus can heal me, right? That's the conversation to have, whatever that looks like. Not all these other things, this babble, these things that we, we, we claim as knowledge. It's a waste of time, and it will lead you astray, Obsess. Obsess over Jesus and make him the center of everything you do. Yeah, amen. Thank you. I don't think I ever got an amen before. Yeah. Wow. Well, that seemed kind of cheap because I kind of made that one happen. But thank you, Sean. But, but Jesus knew this too when he was here. He would say, focus on the Father, obsess on the Father. You know, there's one greater than me. The Spirit is coming. Even Jesus himself, God himself said, no, 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 you've got to focus. You've got to focus. Everything you do should be about this, should be about the relationship with the Father, right? But I said at the beginning, I was going to change the meaning of this word. So now we all know, we have a baseline, fear of missing out, FOMO. That's great. Now I know how, another reason why I'm a terrible person. But wait, because when Jesus walked the earth and he changed someone or he healed someone, he would give them a new name, right? The woman who suffered became daughter, right? And so we're going to change this word. We're going to give it a new name. We're going to make it good. And so in those moments... When that insecurity or that pride or that fear or that jealousy, whatever it is that creeps into your heart, and into your mind, and you start swerving, you start wandering, you start thinking about other things than what's going on in front of you right now in this moment. Jesus is calling to you. He's reminding you. He's asking you. Hit it. Just focus on me only. FOMO. You're not missing out on anything. There is nothing better or, or, or more important than me. Focus on me. He knows how our minds work. He knows our tendency to worry and to obsess over things that we cannot control. 
And he knows that right now, a lot of you are more concerned with what's to come, what may happen, what if, than what's happening right now, who you're sitting next to right now, where your kids are right now, what you're hearing right now, what he's speaking to you right now. And he says, just focus on me, obsess on me, make me the center of everything you do, everyone you know, every relationship you have, every conversation you have, focus on me. And so as the worship team comes back up to the stage, it may seem silly. I tend to kind of look down my nose at these types of things. It's childish, like the old WWJD bracelets and stuff. But that was a physical reminder of where your mind and your heart and your thoughts should be. This is just a verbal one or a mental one, right? This is just when you get in those moments, catch yourself wandering, catch yourself in those moments. And, 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 and name it, right? Call it out in your mind. You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to be the weirdo at work that says FOMO. Or maybe you are the weirdo at work. Say it, and they'll ask you what it is, and you can explain it. Oh, this is what it is. It's amazing, right? But if you're not comfortable with that, just claim it. Hey, you know, right now, FOMO. I am, I'm, I'm obsessing on what I can't control. I'm, I'm thinking about what I think I'm missing out. But in that moment that you call out, that you claim what's happening in your heart, in your mind, remember that Jesus has now changed this word. For you this morning, this word is different. You are no longer afraid of missing out. You are in that moment reminded that I will focus on Jesus and Jesus only. And so before you go into that Monday morning meeting that's been called and you're so afraid of, focus on Jesus. Because he's telling you, I'm in there already. I'm in that office. I'm at that table. I'm with you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about what they're going to say or what they're going to do. Are you going to pay your bills? Just look for me. Listen for me. Listen to me. I'm there. I'm waiting for you. I'm with you. Let's go. Let's do this. When you see your wife or your husband, and you're worried about what they're going to think, or what they're going to say, or how you're going to get them back, stop. Focus on Jesus. See them in that husband, in that wife, in their eyes, in their hands, in their arms. Realize that Jesus is saying, look at me. I'm here. I'm in this relationship. I'm in this person. I love you so much. I gave you this person to love you your whole life. And that you can love your whole life. Look for me in this. Don't worry about all that other stuff. Your kids. You see your kids. Don't worry about what they're messing up or what they're doing or not doing. Are they listening to me? Are they getting in trouble? What did I, how did I mess up their lives? What, how am I going to fix it? When you see your kids, just say, just see me. Just come here. Just, you know, just welcome them. Like if it was me. Like if you saw me running up because I'm there. I just, I just want you to pick me up. We sing about the arms of the Father. Jesus just wants us to hold him. He wants it. Just love me. I'm there. Focus on me at those times, in those relationships, in those people, in those places. He says, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. You're here now, today, with me. You don't need anything more. Nothing less than me will do. So I just want to pray. I want to pray for all of us. Jesus, we thank you for reminding us that you are everywhere. That you are in everything. And then those times when our mind wanders and our heart betrays us and our peace is stolen, speak to us and remind us to focus on you. 
prompt us to look for you in those places, in those people, in those events. Give us opportunities to receive your love and to give your love to those around us in that moment. Jesus, you are so good. We love you. We love you for changing what words mean. We love you for changing our life. Amen. Grace be with you. You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. The mission of Streams Church is very simple, to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to streamschurch.org.